Well, welcome everybody to week four of Transitions, this series of messages in which we've been exploring how to manage the changes in your family. And one of the things that we've been discovering over these last several weeks is that healthy families are not made up of perfect people who live in perfect circumstances where everything goes according to plan. But actually, healthy families are made up of imperfect people who learn how to manage their ever-changing circumstances in healthy and God-honoring ways. We've also discovered that while change is easy to talk about, it's hard to actually manage it and the emotions that come with it. It's much easier to talk about than to do. In fact, that's why Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, tells us in Proverbs 24 that it takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. And we need both wisdom, which is something God gives to us, and we need understanding, which is what we are to give to others if we're going to manage our family relationships. And that is especially true when family relationships turn toxic. Now look, all family relationships are difficult. At best, they can be difficult because we're so intertwined and wrapped up emotionally into those relationships. Our relationships with our family are the deepest, most emotional relationships in our lives. And so they're always can be difficult, but every now and then, a family relationship can go from being occasionally difficult or are going through a, a difficult season to becoming truly toxic, becoming harmful not only to us, but to the entire family. And so the question is, how do you know if it's toxic? Right? How do you know if it's just, you know, it's just a difficult patch or if it has become a toxic relationship? Well, there's no clear clinical line for defining what's toxic or what's just difficult, but, but I do have a, a definition I want us to work off with. When we talk about toxic relationships, this is what we're talking about, relationships that are stuck in a pattern of relating that is harmful to both. When we get stuck in a pattern of relating to each other that is harmful to both of us. And so what I want to do today is just look at three basic facts about toxic family relationships. And then more importantly, I want us to spend the bulk of our, our time looking at some practical biblical ways to manage toxic family relationships. I'm wondering, any of this resonate with you? Anybody think you might could use a little of this in your life? Sure, that's true. We, we all can. In fact, that's the first fact about toxic family relationships, you're not the only one. You are not the only one. I know sometimes it feels like our family is just worse than everybody else's family, right? Our family has the market cornered on dysfunction. You need to understand we all feel that way. 
Start talking to the people sitting around you about their family and the history of their family. You'll end up in a debate about who's got the worst, most toxic, most dysfunctional family. Listen, every family has toxic family members in it. Now, they may not be in your immediate family, but if you go out long enough and look back far enough, you'll see there have been some toxic people in your family tree. And look, this is not a new thing, right? Toxic family relationships is not a 21st century issue. It's been around as long as human beings have existed in families. In fact, right, the very first family, Adam and Eve's family, one brother kills another brother. That's pretty toxic, right? Father Abraham, good old Father Abraham, do you know that he sent his son and his son's mother out into the desert to die alone all because of the jealousy of his wife? I'd say that's pretty toxic. Joseph, right? Joseph with the Technicolor dream coat. Remember his 11 brothers? They decided that they were going to kill him, and then when they figured out they could actually make money by selling him into slavery, they sold him into slavery in Egypt. That's pretty toxic. Lot, Abraham's nephew Lot, his very own daughters got him drunk so that they could sleep with him. That's extremely toxic. In fact, I would encourage you to read the book of Genesis. You'll feel a whole lot better about your family. Maybe we're not as bad as I thought we were. You know, I understand your toxic family relationship is unique, and I'm not trying to minimize it. I understand it's unique, but I just need you to understand the reason there are toxic relationships in every family is because the ingredients of toxic relationships are found in every one of us. Jealousy, fear, selfishness, sexual sin, all of those things exist in us. They're part of our broken sin nature and because they are in us, they have a way of showing up in our family relationships. You're not the only one. Second fact, they're not all equal. Not all toxic family relationships are equally toxic. There there are different levels of toxicity in relationships. Some are toxic because of a single incident, a major issue, a big blow up that created this toxicity in the relationship. But some of them are based on a lifelong pattern of behavior. And the reason you need to understand the differences because how you deal with them is different. Think of toxic family relationships like you think of radioactive materials right? There's a lot of different radioactive materials, but some are more toxic and long-lasting than others, right? In fact, I was just reading sometime back, uranium, very toxic, radioactive. It has a half-life. In other words, it remains dangerous for 4.5 billion years, Radon, which is toxic, has a half-life, stays toxic for only 2.8 
days. Both toxic, very different levels of toxicity, right? And so you need to look at that relationship and say, is this a 4.5 billion year situation or is this a 2.8 day situation? They're not all equal. And then finally, number three, when it's toxic, you must act. When a relationship becomes toxic, you have to do something about it. Because most really toxic family relationships don't become that way overnight. They're caused by years, sometimes even decades of not dealing with the core issues, of avoiding the issues, of sweeping things under the rug. And over long periods of time, they become extremely toxic. And toxic family relationships, they don't just get better on their own. They don't just magically fix themselves. And here's why it's important for you to remember this. Because our tendency when we're in a toxic relationship is to try to analyze why it's toxic. Right, we try to figure out, is it something I said? Is it what they did? Is it, or we get out the blame meter. Did they cause this or did I cause or is it 30% them and 70% me? We're trying to analyze and figure out why it's toxic. But when it's toxic, you gotta get out from under it and then you can deal with the whys behind it, right? If you went home today and discovered that a water line had burst in your home and it's just pouring out and it's flooding and damaging and destroying your home, would you just stand there in the water and go, I wonder what caused it to burst? I need to figure out why this thing. No, you go cut off the water main and then you can start working through the the whys and the hows and what can be done. You have to act when it's toxic. And I just want to say this, if you are in an abusive relationship, particularly if you are in a physically abusive relationship, I want, you got to get out of it. You can't fix it from within it. And you don't have to do that alone. If that's you today, you're struggling, just reach out to one of our pastors, one of our staff. We'll help you get to a safe place because when it's toxic, you've got to act. It's not going to get better on its own. You gotta do something. Now, like I said, it sounds easy to say, just do something, just just fix it, but it's always easier said than done because here's the reality. While you can't fix every situation and you can't change anybody other than yourselves, there is one thing that every one of us can do when it comes to the toxic relationships in our families, and that is we can manage them better. We can all manage those relationships better. Four suggestions, four things I want to encourage you to consider doing when it comes to managing these toxic family relationships. One, accept my limitations. Accept my limitations. We all have limitations. Most of us just have a hard time of recognizing those limitations, And that's that's why some of us are still in those toxic relationships. That's why some of us allow ourselves to still be controlled by toxic people because we just think we can make it better, we can fix it, right? And that's especially true for us within the church. As Christ followers, we are easily manipulated by toxic people. 
right? Because after all, our faith says we got to forgive everybody, right? We got to love everybody. Jesus said you got to turn the other cheek. And so toxic people know that and they will use it to manipulate us, right? I have a good friend of mine years ago had a difficult, toxic relationship with one of his siblings, as adult siblings. She, she had some struggles, some addictions, uh, some mental health challenges. And so as he began to set healthy boundaries, as he began to step out to do something about it, to step away, to not be codependent and enabling, as soon as he set the first boundary, do you know the first thing she said to him? Well, you're just a big old hypocrite. You claim you're a Christian, you go to that church up there, but you don't love me, you're not forgiving me, you're not being like Jesus. Even Jesus removed himself on occasion from toxic people. Did you know that? Read the Gospels. There are multiple times where Jesus intentionally chooses not to go where the Pharisees were, these religiously toxic people. Jesus would sometimes take the long way around intentionally so he wouldn't have to deal with them. Now, obviously, sometimes Jesus confronted them head on, but there's many, many times where he chose to go the other way. And if Jesus chose to do that with the toxic people around him, don't you think that might be something we ought to think about doing with the toxic people, right? In fact, look at what Paul says about us as Christ followers. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, we have this treasure, this Jesus, in what? What's that phrase? Jars of clay. Circle it. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. God has no limits, but brothers and sisters, we all have limits. Interestingly, that Paul would use that phrase, jars of clay. Because in the first century, a clay jar, because they didn't have the technology that we do to glaze it. Yes, they baked them, but they couldn't glaze them and make them hard and less breakable. So their clay pots and their clay jars were very fragile and easily broken. In fact, to them, they were almost like disposable, like we use paper plates, you know. You can use them for a while, but eventually you're going to have to replace them because they're fragile. They're easily broken. And Paul says, that's what we are. Now, none of us like to think of ourselves as fragile and easily broken. But what I want you to understand is there's great freedom and just recognizing how limited you are as a human being. It's greatly freeing when you can get to the reality that you can't fix every problem and you can't change every person. You can't change anybody. So I'm gonna do this and I want you to do it with me. This is gonna help you out. It's gonna seem weird, but I promise it's gonna help you out. So whatever campus you're on, those of you watching online, I need everybody to do this. Raise your right hand. Just raise your right hand. Keep it up. Come on. Online people, I can see you. Get them up, all right? Now repeat after me. Everybody, repeat after me out loud. I do hereby resign as master and controller of the universe. Don't you feel better? Right? Just recognizing there is a God, but I'm not him. Now, look, I'm not saying that I think you have a God complex. 
I don't, I don't think any of you have a God complex, but I think there's a whole lot of us who have an if-only complex. Oh, if I'd only said it this way, if I could only say the right thing, if I could just do the right thing, then they wouldn't be so volatile. If I could just love them in the right way, then maybe this relationship wouldn't be like that. And listen, maybe there are some times where there's some things you need to change about how you speak to and how you respond. Maybe, but more likely, the way they react has nothing to do with you. So what limitation do you need to accept? What limitation in that toxic relationship do you need to come to grips with? Because if we're gonna manage them, we gotta recognize we're just clay jars. Number two, the second thing we gotta do, and this is huge, we gotta learn to forgive. We gotta learn to forgive. You can't change or fix the toxic people in your family, but you can free yourself from their control. And surprisingly, the key to that freedom is forgiveness. Forgiveness is what frees you from that. And look, nowhere else in our lives is forgiveness more needed than within our families. Because we are so close, so emotionally intertwined, nobody can hurt you like your family. There are no wounds like the wounds of a parent, a sibling, a child, a grandparent. The closer you are to someone in a family, the more deep those wounds are. Any of y'all over 50, any of y'all over 50, y'all remember that line from the 1970s movie, uh, Love Story? Apparently it was about Al Gore's love life in college. But do you remember that line? Loves mean, means never having to say what? You're sorry. What a crock of stuff, right? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Love means you have to say you're sorry all the time because love means when you're that close, you wound each other, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. See, that's why I, I understand for some of you, you hear me up here saying, you know, you got to forgive that toxic family member and you're like, no way. You can't even think about doing it. You're so overwhelmed by it. And look, I get that, but I think you misunderstand what forgiveness really is. Let me tell you two things about forgiveness. One, forgiveness is not approval. Forgiveness is not approval. When you forgive someone, you're not saying that what they did to you is okay. You're not saying that they were right and you were wrong. In fact, forgiveness has nothing to do with them, but it has everything to do with you and your relationship with God. Look at what Paul writes, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Because in Christ, God forgave you. Your forgiveness of the people who have wounded you is based on your relationship with God. It's not about whether or not they've earned that forgiveness, they've deserved that forgiveness, or whether they even have asked for that give forgiveness. It has to do with your relationship with God. Because the heart of forgiveness is simply releasing to God the pain that other people have caused you. Otherwise, what are you gonna do with that pain? You're just gonna keep on nursing it, rehearsing it, holding on to it? 
How's that been working out for you? It's not going to work. You can hold on to it and just get more and more bitter, or you can release that pain to God and step by step begin to get better. The second thing I want you to understand about forgiveness, and this is huge, forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Forgiving someone does not mean that you resume the relationship without change. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you can continue to put that person in a level of trust in your life. Forgiveness does not mean that you continue to make yourself vulnerable to that toxic person. They're two different things. That's why in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives clear steps for reconciling a relationship. I put the reference there on your printed outline because I want you to go home and sometime this week, I want you to read what Jesus said you need to do to reconcile a relationship. And when you'll do, the first thing you'll notice is forgiveness is not even a part of it. Forgiveness of that person is already assumed. But there are three clear steps to reconciling a relationship. And guess what the third step is? If there's no change, you separate. You walk away. Now, yes, you always want to hold the door open that if there are changes, that they can come back into a relationship. But separating from a toxic relationship may be the most loving thing you can do for them. Listen, I understand. This is a complicated, difficult to understand concept about forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me simplify it with a story. Let's say you go home today, mom, and you bake a dozen made from scratch, soft chocolate chunk cookies. I mean, big, beautiful cookies, and right? And you get them out of the oven and you're cooling them and you tell the family, don't eat these cookies now. We're saving them for dessert after dinner tonight. So don't eat the cookies. Everybody understand? Yes, ma'am, we won't eat the cookies. Now you go in the den and you're chilling out, reading, maybe taking a little nap. And little Johnny comes in. He's got chocolate all over his face. He's got crumbs all over his shirt. He says, Mom, I ate a cookie. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Will you forgive me? Do you forgive little Johnny? Do you forgive little Johnny? Sure. You'd. Come on, it's little Johnny. You, gotta, you forgive him. Well, let's say 15 minutes later, he comes back in and he's done it again. I, I ate another cookie. Mama, can you forgive me? Do you forgive? What if he does it a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time? Do you forgive him? Yes, but at some point, get up out of the chair and move the cookie jar. You need to understand when it comes to your relationships, it's okay to move the cookie jar. Forgiveness all the time. Boundaries, moving the cookie jar, getting yourself in a better, safer, healthier place is God honoring. Forgiveness is huge. One of the, the best conversations about forgiveness, I think, takes place between Peter and Jesus. In fact, it's right after Jesus gives them these three steps to reconciling a broken relationship. And so look at what happens. Peter comes up, Matthew 18, 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Paul's right there. You need to understand Peter is being so big and magnanimous, offering seven times. Because in the Jewish law, you're only required to forgive somebody three times. 
right? After that, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. So Peter's doubling it, and he's adding one for good measure. He's like, this would be big, wouldn't it, Lord? And look at Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some of you have translations that say 70 times seven. But before you get caught up in trying to figure out whether it's 77 or 490, understand this ain't about math. Jesus is not trying to give Peter a goal, a number. He's trying to teach him a principle about forgiveness. The principle is this. Let me explain it to you this way. Imagine if Peter goes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I love you. I'm committed to you. And with a lot of hard work, and if I put everything in it, and if I'm focused, I believe I could jump seven feet. I believe I could just jump seven feet for you, Jesus. And it will be like Jesus saying, Peter, appreciate the effort, but I don't need you to jump seven feet. I need you to jump seven miles. And Peter would be like, no way, that's impossible. I can't do that. And Jesus would say, bingo. Yahtzee, you're right. You can't do it. But I can in and through you. You have God's spirit, God's power, and you have God's forgiveness of you to allow you to make that seven-mile jump. So who do you need to do that for? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to free yourself from? I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying it's magically gonna make everything better when you walk out of here. But I can tell you, it's a step in the right direction. Number three, the third thing we need to do to manage toxic family relationships, I gotta change my thinking. I gotta change my thinking. You know, I started out by telling you that toxic relationships are relationships that are stuck in a pattern of relating that's harmful to both of us. Key word, stuck. That's what happens. We get stuck in these patterns. And the reason we get stuck in the patterns is we keep doing the same things over and over and we keep expecting different results, which is by definition insanity. But the reason you keep doing and reacting and responding in the same way is because you keep thinking the same thoughts about that person and about that relationship, right? Your, your thoughts drive your emotions and your emotions drive your behavior and your behavior determines how you respond. And so if you wanna change a family relationship, you gotta change the way you think. Notice what Paul says, again, Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So many, listen to me now, so many of our unhealthy patterns of relating to others is based on how we think and feel about them. We react with our emotions, what we feel, not necessarily what we think. We allow our feelings about that person in that situation to control our reactions and responses rather than our mind, our thoughts. You need to understand your feelings 
about that toxic person in your family, those feelings may never change, but your thoughts about them can. And look, I understand that's not an easy thing to do, but you're not without resources. God has given you three things to help you change the way you think. Write these down. One, you have God's spirit in you. If you are a Christ follower, he has placed his spirit in you. Yes, we are fragile clay jars, but there is a treasure that has been placed in those fragile clay jars. Not only have God's spirit within you, you have God's word You have God's word, the the truth and principles of his words can be an anchor to the way we think about things in the ever-changing culture and reality around us. And I'm convinced the more I will engage with God's word, read it, meditate, memorize, the more I get it in here, the more it's going to help me think differently about people and circumstances. And then third, you've got God's family. God's family. You know, I said it's hard to deal with your family because we're so emotionally intertwined, right? It's hard to see clearly when you're dealing with an issue within your family relationships. But there are plenty of other believers around you who love you who can see clearly when you can't. They're outside of that emotional tornado that's swirling in your home. And they're a great resource. That's why you need to be connected in authentic community with other believers. This is a great tool God has given you. So let me just ask you, of these three, which one do you need to lean into a little more? Do, do you need to be a little more connected with a few other believers? Do you need to be more engaged with God's word, filling your mind with his truths? Or maybe, maybe you're here and you're not a believer. You're just kind of checking this whole thing out. And if that's you, thrilled, thrilled that you're here and would love to walk with you through this journey. But if that's you, have you ever considered, I'm not saying this is how it is, but have you ever considered if maybe the reason you're having so many issues in your family relationships is because something's broken in your relationship with your heavenly father. You got to restore that relationship. And we'd love to tell you and walk with you how to take that step to have God's spirit in you. I don't know which of those you need to lean into. I just know we all need to lean into them. And then finally, maybe most importantly, the fourth thing you can do to manage these toxic family relationships is let God love you. Let God love you. One of the primary causes of toxic family relationships is because we are expecting from others in our family what only God can provide for us. If you're looking for a spouse or a a parent or a child or a grandpa, if you're looking for any other human being for your approval, if you're looking to them for your sense of value or worth, if you're looking to another person for your affirmation, they may be able to meet that need for a while, but eventually it ain't gonna be enough or they're not gonna do it at the right time. But God can. That's why notice what John writes, 1 John 4. John says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. 
We love because he first loved us. Now, I want you to circle the word know, K-N-O-W, and circle the word rely. Every relationship in your life is impacted by your understanding of God's love for you. What you know about and how you rely on God's love for you has an impact on every relationship in your life. So what do you know about God's love? How do you picture God's love? When you think about God and whether or not he loves you, what do you think that love is like? When Jesus wanted to help us understand what God's love is like, he said it's like a wealthy father who had two sons. And the youngest son in a fit of rebellion stole his half of the inheritance and he left and he went to live a selfish, self-centered life doing whatever he wanted to do regardless of what his father or his family thought. And he lived that life for a long time till the money ran out. Then he was face down in a pigsty, stinking and filthy. And Jesus said, but he came to his senses and he got up and he headed home and he just wanted to be a servant in his father's house. But Jesus said, man, the minute the father saw that prodigal, he took off running to him and he didn't get there and say, clean yourself up and get it together. No, he grabbed that stinking, filthy son in his arms and he said, welcome home. And he restored him to the family. That's what God's love for you is like. And you say, wait a minute, Phil, you base your whole opinion or view of God's love uh, because Jesus told this story? No, I don't base my view of God's love because Jesus told a story. I do it because Jesus hung on a cross. And he said, I'd rather die than live without you in the family. I've given it all so you could be in a right relationship with your creator, your heavenly father, your Abba, your Papa, your Dada. And when you are restored in that relationship and as you walk in that love, you can truly learn to love the people around you, even the toxic people. Notice this last verse, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still covered in mud and stink, Christ died for us, for you. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here today, and if you're just honest for a moment, you recognize the reason you're struggling in so many relationships is because your relationship with your heavenly father is broken. I would invite you today to, to receive that gift of forgiveness, to be restored, to let him slowly and surely put a new robe and a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and we'll celebrate with a fatted calf. Or maybe you, you are restored to the father, but you've been trying to fix people and circumstances in your own strength. Maybe today your first step is just confess that you're a clay jar. Recognize your limitations. Or maybe you've been carrying deep wounds and scars from a family member who hurt you. 
And it's been jacking up your, your life. It keeps showing up in every other relationship. I believe God brought you here today to say today is the day of healing and restoration. Today's the day to let it go. It's not some magical, mystical thing. And it is a daily process of releasing that pain to God and walking in his hope and his healing. I don't know what you need today, but I know God is right here. He's ready to meet you, encounter you, and begin to heal your heart and your life and your family. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.